0: welcome everybody to another episode of hockey in the classroom episode 11 this is flying by this year so far uh as always matt wally wallacek joining you and uh always by by my side down in dallas tony Ringett. tony how's dallas be doing today
1: uh a little chilly he's in the 40s so uh a little change of pace felt like some hockey weather uh but it's good. Cracked open a cold bush latte not too long ago. so
0: <laughs> That's what I like to hear. Maybe the ponds will start freezing down there before you start skating. I hope not. <laughs> uh, but we had a lot of interesting stories, Tony, this past weekend. Um, but I really wanted to hit a couple of headline stories before we move into the different conferences here. Uh, first being is uh, OSU defenseman Regala, um, who was hospitalized after a nasty head uh, head hit this past weekend. Um, was laying there motionless for several minutes of something that you just never want to see for any player um, in any sport. Um, a very unfortunate incident. Um, but, Tony, I think you looked up earlier this week that um, there were signs that he was moving around and he was um, alert in the hospital, so that was good signs to hear. Um, hopefully he can make a very speedy um, and full recovery um, after that nasty hit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thoughts thoughts go to him and, and his family and the Ohio State program that, that he makes a full recovery, which they do expect him to make. That's always good news. In um, other news, too,
0: WMU Paul Washi, who's been probably one of the better players, if not the best player for uh, the Broncos this season, um, suffering a two-game suspension coming up weekend um, against Omaha. Uh a couple instances this past weekend where he disagreed with some uh with the referee calls against penalties and I guess he kind of pushed back on a couple linesmen um something that you know players should never be doing and CHC reviewed it and he is now suffering the two game suspension um, I don't know if I don't think this should affect the Broncos too much in the Omaha series this coming up weekend which we can see game uh game 1 Friday on the CBS Sports network but um, you never know, because um, anything can happen in CHC hockey, which we'll cover later in this episode.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, and it's kind of unfortunate too, with with what Western's been. This is about week four now that they've been fully healthy, riding a nice little winning streak that we'll talk about, and and they have a pretty big series coming up with Omaha, two teams that are receiving votes in the polls, and um, but yeah, with the way that team's been gelling, uh, Wade Allison looks like the Wade Allison that we've always expected now that he's seems to be a little more healthy. So um, that, that should be an exciting series that'll be nationally televised on Friday. Yep. Uh,
0: and then last two uh, notes here, Tony, uh, we're going to end, um, you know, I think we'll end on the night on the good note last. So uh, one thing I, I thought was interesting was um, just saw an article posted on CHN uh, about the attendance level has uh, gone down. in over the last 10 years, uh, especially for the bigger programs, uh, they, the article really highlights BU's attendance uh, from this season so far compared to their one of their better seasons in quite some time, which was 2009-2010. Um, and, you know, it's just uh, it, it's disappointing to see that the, even the bigger programs are suffering, uh, you know, the, the decrease in attendance uh, in college hockey. And, and hopefully that's not something that's going to last too much longer. Hopefully the attendance will start perking up. Um, you know, it's always easier nowadays to find where the T or the game is on TV, your iPad, your iPhone, whatever it may be. But you know, nothing's like going to the actual arena and experiencing college hockey right in front of you.
1: Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's funny that you bring that up because just recently NCAA came out with a list of their nine best, in no particular order, uh, student sections, and you and you saw some non-traditional powers. Um, so Bowling Green was on there um Clarkson, Cornell, uh, Michigan Tech, uh, Minnesota's on there, Northeastern, Northern Michigan who's actually a very new student section um the Puckheads kind of just really formally came together starting um this season in fact but they've been gaining in numbers pretty quickly uh Penn State's on there and then of course in our very, very biased opinion. <laughs> uh, the Lawson and lunatics coming in and as well. So Yeah,
0: I mean we are a biased and one hundred percent Lawson lunatic podcast here. Um, best student section in college hockey. But no, there's a lot of good student sections on there. Uh if I had to really take a, a shot here, um to vote maybe my number two, I would think I would be uh it would be Penn State. That that's a good student section. They they sit right behind the goaltender on one end of the ice. Uh, in that arena, it's almost like they hover over you. They do the whiteout, uh, oh, just like the football so cool. games. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, you know that that's a newer arena to play in in college hockey, at least at the Division One level. As we all know, Penn State became D One uh, about five years ago now. Um, a lot of time has flown by, but that student section in that arena—that's a tough barn to play in. And, and like I said, it's like the uh, like almost like Lawson the student section and the fans are almost right on top of you the way the
1: the seats are stacked there. And, and what makes Lawson so cool for anyone who's never been there is that it, it it's essentially half the half the crowd. I mean it stretches what end line to end line, um, which is just which is just remarkable. Um but one thing I, I wanted to note, I was I was watching the blues, I think it was the blues flames game the other night. And all of a sudden, I hear Buddy Robinson. Wasn't Buddy the guy that squirted water at you? And <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. And I think he, he. I think he retweeted me too after that. <laughs> he's one of two players that I, well, the Chelios brothers as well, but that I really remember the lunatics getting on. It was him, and then it was Tori Krug. Oh yeah, and if I remember
0: correctly, there was a good weekend when Michigan came to town, and we gave Kevin Lynch a good. uh hazing in the box too i remember he scored at uh a, a couple of the lunatics who didn't appreciate that i think someone whipped a program in the box you know classic lawless Lawson lunatic uh you know uh what, things what, going what, on there
1: wasn't that the series where someone just threw a shoe on
0: the ice that might have been that might have been the same series and oh, nothing nothing surprises me with the Lawson lunatics which makes them one of the best student sections but into your point tony the I think Lawson is still the only student section that has the student section from one end of the ice to the other. So, a good 200 foot student section where we've seen um a lot of student sections. They sit behind the goaltender. Um Penn State, like I mentioned, Fair State the Dog Pound, um the A team at Michigan State's pretty much behind the goaltender. They're in that like kind of corner the behind corner. the goaltender. Um I think Boston College actually has their student sections up above in the sec- in the second uh, level, if I'm not mistaking, which I think is kind of odd. I think um, St. Cloud might do it. St. Cloud too? I think they might do what we do. They go to the length? Okay. But there's not many. I know that. Um, Lawson is definitely one of the few, um, but there are a lot of good student sections out there, that, and that's what really makes college hockey college hockey because without the student section, it's, it's just the atmosphere, um, you know, the chance, all of it, um, you know, it gets, it gets the guys going on the ice and that's why we always talk about Tony home ice advantage is huge in college hockey.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you listen to some of those players and I mean, yeah, yeah I listen to a lot more things relating to Western, but talking about going into that building and, and facing the lunatics. Oh my God. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I still think there's a few
0: interviews and articles I've I've read over the years um from reporters and like CBS announcers, you know, interviewing players. You know, what's it like or what's your what's the arena you least like to play in? And Western is brought up uh, I think nine times out of ten because of the Lawson Lunatics. So Lawson Lunatics keep doing what
1: you're doing. You're making us proud here on uh in hockey in the classroom. Absolutely. Well, do you want to transition into what happened last week? I know we have a, we're kind of starting to figure out who the who the top teams in each conference are, and and I mean the conference we usually start in the Atlantic had a had a pretty wacky weekend.
0: Yeah, um, Atlantic hockey, which we are starting to see um, the gap close, and really seeing the points, uh, you know, within at least three, four teams really get closer together, and then we're really starting to see those four. I mean I'm gonna stretch and maybe say five, but it that's really a stretch, I think. Um really pull away from the rest of the conference. But uh AIC had a big weekend. Um now they're tied at first with Sacred Heart at 40 points. Uh Army and Air Force left leaving points on the table this past weekend. Um both suffering big big time losses against teams that they really uh couldn't afford to lose to. Uh Army's still at third place in the conference at thirty-seven points, but Air Force is now Tied for fifth with Robert Morse, who also fell this past weekend, I believe. Um, Yeah, they got swept by AIC. Yeah, so Air Force and Robert Morse at 31. So Robert Morse continues to drop. Air Force is barely hanging around. RIT is at 31 points. I'm sorry, I said they're tied for fifth. Uh, They're tied for fourth with RIT. We have three at 31 points. So, I mean, really, um, it's hard for me to say even really it's a six-pony race here. I think it's really we're looking at AIC, Sacred Heart and Army who's sticking around. Like we said, though, Army left points on the table this past weekend. Uh, and Sacred Heart and AIC really keep rolling.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was a really rough weekend for the academies. Army got swept by Niagara. Air Force got swept by Holy Cross. And, I mean, it really doesn't get any easier for Air Force next weekend as they have to host Sacred Heart, who had a very impressive weekend, um, a, a little Saturday-Sunday tournament in the Connecticut Ice Tournament. They beat two Quality opponents in Yale, but pretty handily in Yale and Quinnipiac. They beat Yale six to two on Saturday in the semis and then beat beat up on a really good Quinnipiac team four uh, one. You know, I really think that we have two teams in the Atlantic this this year that could be a dangerous 16th seed in the NCAA tournament in in both either AIC or Sacred Heart if they were to win the Atlantic um, tournament. I
0: agree. Um, AIC I haven't seen a lot of action this so far this season. Hopefully I can catch a a game here coming up. But I've watched uh, two or three Sacred Heart games, and I agree. Uh, the 16th seed if Sacred Heart comes out on top in the Atlantic, that's a 16th seed I don't want to face. Uh, they have a solid offensive game, uh, you know, great transition. Their power play is very very well executed, and they and they get solid defensive play and goaltending on the back end. So Sacred Heart right now is a scary sixteen seed if. Uh, if they end up making to the big dance there in the, in the 16th spot. But um, you know, you mentioned sacred hearts at air force. That's a big, that's a big test for air force. And then, you know, Robert Morris who keeps falling is at Arizona state. It's a non-conference game, but that's a big non-conference game. Robert Morris needs to get it going here.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, they've been, but we noted this, we noted this a while back. They, they were a beneficiary of a very soft schedule to start the season. And now, with the meat of their schedule really come, coming up at the end where i are we seeing who robert morris robert morris truly is i don't know maybe but they have they have a big week it's not really a big weekend as i mean they're not a team that really matters for the pairwise they have non conference but it's going to be a tough weekend against arizona state in the desert
0: yeah i mean it's one of those weekends where robert morris just it's been they've been falling uh, i don't want to say falling apart but it just the wheels have fallen off a little bit here in the last few you know three four weeks here and this is a series where it's a tough test, but you need you know this is the weekend really you know with very limited weekends left in the season before we get to conference playoffs where Robert Morris needs to get something going here um so this is a weekend where hopefully Robert Morris can get that going,
1: yeah, yeah, let's we'll see i mean this this is honestly a bigger weekend for state who doesn't have a conference tournament to play in and Right now, they're sitting in kind of that, that three-seed range, not too far off of a two-seed, and they just need to keep winning. Um, I, I think you talked about it last weekend. This, this, They don't have a lot of beef left in their schedule. I know we're switching a little bit away from the Atlantic, but ASU's really major competition is Wisconsin, and we know how Wisconsin is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with <laughs> what team are you going to get?
0: That's true. And the inconsistency just keeps haunting the Badgers there, which we'll highlight a little bit later here. Um, but Tony, before we move on here from Atlanta Hockey, you know, I do want to note, I mean, besides the fact that Sacred Heart had a very solid weekend this past weekend winning the uh, Connecticut Cup, um, but also, uh, you know, news breaks out for Sacred Heart that they will start uh, building their on-campus arena, which I think it's long overdue for Sacred Heart. So um, stick taps for the Sacred Heart hockey program and the fans there. That's going to be awesome to see once it's done. And we can't wait to see that. Maybe we can get down there for a game uh, and check out the new arena when it's finally up and running there. But uh, big news for Sacred Heart and the program. And, and that's uh, huge for the university.
1: Yeah. Speaking of new arenas, did did you see that uh, the University of Georgia is breaking ground on a uh, publicly funded or tax funded um, arena in Athens on campus. I did, and uh, I don't know who uh, or what tweet I read when I saw
0: that, but it was an interesting uh, tidbit that you know once it's built, could it possibly be uh, a regional, you know, uh, host, you know, Midwest or so forth? So, I mean, that would be kind of intriguing. Alabama Huntsville possibly being the host of a of a region. I don't know, but well, uh, th- they
1: they were the host for the for the Frozen Four a few years ago when it was in Tampa.
0: Oh okay good point and I forgot about that so 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 they're they're not uh, shy for you know being a host before uh before but um but yeah no I thought I that was an interesting um I did, really didn't see that coming it will be interesting cuz we know Georgia's really uh football program and a baseball program down there a little bit of basketball so you know to to implement the hockey arena uh you know we'll see I mean we're always in for it, Tony I think we talk about it all the time we wanted to see the game expand both at the men and women's level. And this is one way to do it, uh, you know, down south. We only got one program right now, and that's Huntsville. So
1: Georgia. And they're, you know, and they're just kind of hanging on right now. Yeah.
0: So you, maybe this is a way to help Huntsville out a little bit to, to hang around. Um, you know, we'll see. Um, it's definitely, though, interesting. And uh, it's cool to see, though, uh, that Georgia is going to build that
1: uh, that arena there. And, you know, we'll see how it turns out. And I, and I really wonder if these if these schools are seeing this the instant and immediate success that you know Penn State is having that granted they had such a such a great club team for so long or that Arizona State has had that they're breaking into the NCA and having into Division one and having immediate success and I wonder if that's going to I know money and, and Title Nine is a huge piece to it but if that's going to inspire the likes of like an Illinois a UCLA. The, those are some teams that I've, I've heard in the past, but then you look at programs that a pretty good club teams like Alabama and, and Louisville and, and some of those schools that you wonder if, if that could be a possibility. And, and I don't mean in the next five, not even 10, maybe not even 20 years, but down the road. Yeah,
0: no, I definitely. And I think really the pioneers being Penn state and uh, most recent Arizona state um, are really, really helping and motivate a lot of these different universities that do have the club teams currently uh, to jump to the division one levels. I mean, we've been hearing Illinois is the next one to come. They're building a new arena as we speak. Um, so I think they'll be coming on very shortly here within the next couple of years. And Illinois always, uh, I, I follow them on Twitter, the club team, and they have a pretty successful uh, season year in and year out. So could Illinois be the next club team to make the jump? like a Penn state and Arizona state and have immediate success right off the gate. So that will be intriguing, but yeah, I mean, it's a good point you bring up, you know, so far the two teams that have come out of the club level and to the division one level haven't really suffered a bad season yet. And so far, I mean, especially Penn state have been contending for, um, you know, top 10 national rankings and frozen for uh, um, uh, slots there. So, and then Arizona state as well, he's, playing extremely well the last three seasons and continues to fight for a 16-15 seed, but, you know, makes
1: life a lot of, makes
0: life hell for the for the teams that got to go play them because they, they got a very good offense right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, they they can really put up some points. But I, but, I guess enough with, with Atlantic, um, unless you have anything else.
0: No, I, I think we need to move over to the ECAC as we always do.
1: Yeah, and the ECAC, I mean, they nice, nice transition going right from from Arizona State into that that matchup that we really were looking for. Arizona State and Clarkson this weekend, and, and it didn't disappoint. I mean, they battled to a split with a couple one goal games. It's exactly what you look like look for with two teams that very well could be facing off in the first round of the NCAA tournament. As right now, um, I don't have it in in my bracketology, which we'll get to later, um, but uh Clarkson comes in as a two seed and and Arizona State would come in as a three seed. So I mean that was exactly what we were looking for this weekend and, and we got it. So great entertainment.
0: Yeah, I mean the one thing we and Tony, I think we talk about week in and week out. This is such a hard hard conference to follow because Friday game is not the same as the Saturday game. It is not the same as the Sunday game if there is a Sunday game. So this gets very hard to track. Um, luckily Clarkson and Arizona state did play <laughs> Friday and Saturday. And like you said, it was a one hell of a series, uh, with a split there and both games being uh, one goal outcomes, uh, Friday being two, one Clarkson and then Saturday, three, two Arizona state. So that series didn't disappoint whatsoever. And it's nice to see, um, you know, we talk about how Arizona state being independent doesn't have a conference. So they're all over the place with their schedule. They're playing a lot of good teams that we're going to see, I believe, in the top 16 uh, later this year in uh, in March. And to see Arizona State play very well and actually squeak out some wins here against these top 16 teams that we'll see, um, it just shows that Arizona State has that, that, that team that can compete for a national championship. And will they make the top 16? We'll see.
1: Yeah, you know, with with what's left on their schedule, as long as they don't slip up, I, I I can't see them not making the turn again. That's assuming they don't lose games that they shouldn't be losing. Um, but you know, moving forward, I think Arizona State's going to be a really really intriguing program because okay, if you're a an eighteen nineteen year old kid, it's it's kind of nice to be able to go down to to Arizona and be like, well, you know what, I'm going to escape the winter and play hockey. Um, at what's regard as one of the best party schools in the country, so I mean, it's, they've got they've got a lot going for them in the recruitment piece. Yeah,
0: and I believe too that they're in the process or almost done building their at their arena because I believe they're not playing mm-hmm. at playing in their own arena right now. You are um, correct. So that will be also a nice little recruitment piece there because um, nowadays these arenas that keep that keep getting renovated or are, are being built are state of the art. So that will be a nice little. Uh, recruitment piece as long as as well as nothing wrong with going to Tempe, Arizona, and going to college at Arizona State. Uh, everybody is very familiar with partying at ASU, I believe. Whether you read about it, hear about it, or actually lipped it, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> but 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 out, outside of that that non conference matchup, um, most of the games in this this weekend that were conference games. So Arizona State, Clarkson, obviously wasn't, and then. Um, Yale and and uh, Quinnipiac each played in the CT Ice Tournament that we talked about a little bit in in the Atlantic. That Sacred Heart won. Um, Quinnipiac ended up finishing in second, and Yale finished in third. Um, with your UConn Huskies finishing in last place, <laughs> but every other, pretty much every game, with the exception of um, Cornell got a win against Dartmouth on Friday on Friday night, t- three to two. That was a game I was certainly looking forward to. Pretty much everything else ended up in a tie. So, I mean, everybody picked up points for the most part, which is really good for these teams. But at the same time, like you and me talk about, there's a lot of teams that left points on the board that you don't want to be leaving points on the board.
0: Yeah, I mean, when we look at the conference standings here, Clarkson and Cornell right now tied for number one with 20 points. But we're not too far out uh, with the rest of the standings here behind Clarkson and Cornell. Harvard's at 17, Dartmouth. Uh, sixteen. Quinnipiac, RPI, and Colgate at fifteen, and then I mean, let's throw in Yale at twelve. I mean, so we're talking an eight-point swing. I mean, we're we're talking just over a weekend series can get you uh, at the top with Cornell and Clarkson if Cornell and Clarkson, you know, for some reason do end up losing the that weekend. So, um, you know, and Harvard though does have uh one two more games depending on who we're comparing than the rest of the field here. I think Union is the only other team. Uh, I know, I'm sorry, RPI has 15, so <clears throat> but the rest of them are at 12 or 13 games. We're seeing those game plays, though, get very closer and closer, so they are starting to pick up more conference games here and less non-conference. Um, so we'll be even, uh, you know, a week or so, even be able to tell you um, and see, you know, really closely, you know, where these teams we think are going to stack up and finish here. But right now it's a tough it's a uh, tight race here. Really, for me, I think it's it's five horses, Clarkson, Cornell, Harvard, Dartmouth, and Quinnipiac. They're all playing very good hockey right now. Cornell, obviously, we know about, and Clarkson being in the in the national rankings here. Um, Harvard, Dartmouth, and Quinnipiac, though, are playing very solid, and, and especially Dartmouth and Quinnipiac have turned their seasons around late in the season, and they're trying to push for an ECAC uh, uh, home ice bid here.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Those are the same five teams that I've really, really looked at. But at the end of the day, I think when you look at Clarkson and Cornell, I I do believe that in my opinion, they are hands down the two best teams in this conference, but it's kind of like how the, how the NCHC has been for years where Harvard Dartmouth and Quinnipiac are, are still really solid teams that are, you you don't want to sleep on. And, And Quinnipiac has a really big weekend. Uh, they have Cornell at home this week, and they have Colgate, who who made a little noise last weekend. And, and really, Colgate's not that far behind with 12 games played, 15 points. Um, do I think they have a strong shot of winning the conference? No, but they're still a good team, and it, and it could definitely be a, a big series this weekend. Um, another game I'm, I'm looking at big time is Dartmouth and RPI. Um, obviously, as as RPI is – is tied at with Quinnipiac and Colgate for fifth and just behind Dartmouth, a point in the standings. I think that that could be a, an intriguing matchup as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, you make a good point here. Quinnipiac could really close a gap here with Cornell. If you could get at least one win here, if not, um, uh, you know, two wins here with Colgate as well. So that would be intriguing. Um, Cornell will be at Princeton. The following day on Saturday, I believe it is. Um, so that that's, I think we can, can consume, or assume that that's going to be a lock in win there for uh, Cornell. I'd be shocked as all hell if Princeton had walked away with the W. Uh, but you know we've seen a lot of crazy things in college hockey over the years, so I won't sell them short if that does happen. But um, you know, Quinnipiac, the Friday game has got to be the focus game. Um, you get Cornell in at home you're only 5 points out you know a big win at home against Cornell really closes the gap there um and makes the makes this the very interesting for not only within the conference but you know if Cornell suffers a, a loss to Quinnipiac um you know they'll start dropping in Nash, in the national rankings and in the pairwise
1: well and and not only that for for Quinnipiac it's huge i mean when when you're sitting kind of right now they're sitting at 19 in the pairwise um they'd be one of the first four teams eliminated from the from the tournament. You want the big dogs in front of you. You want to play a team like Cornell and a win will will definitely help catapult you up the up up the pairways. Yep, I agree. Um
0: one team though I think that really I I don't want, you know, hopefully no one's sleeping on is Harvard. I think when we talk about the ECAC I think truly, you know, Cornell and Clarkson, this is not, not to, you know, downplay them. They've, they've had strong seasons all year, but I truly think Harvard actually has a better offensive game than Clarkson and Cornell. I think what separates Harvard from Clarkson and Cornell is Clarkson and Cornell have very strong defensive games and, uh, goaltending Harvard lacks that a little bit. They're giving up 36 goals in the conference right now. Clarkson and Cornell are giving up 22 and 17 respectively. But Harvard's offense is probably the best one so far, in my opinion, in this conference. So that's a team that you just can't sleep on. Uh, We saw early in the year they got off to a hot start. I believe they rattled off about seven straight wins, and they were lighting the lamp uh, nonstop. So they hit a speed bump about around December, uh, around the holiday, the Christmas break time. Uh, but this is, you know, Harvard, you know, is trying to turn it around and trying to flip the script here a little bit and get, you know, get back into the pairwise and the national rankings here.
1: Um,
0: well, they they are in the national rankings. Are they they're
1: coming in their number? So right now it's Cornell's at one. Clarkson's at six. Harvard's at 16. Quinnipiac's at 18. However, Harvard comes in at 24 in the pairwise, which is what okay. matters. Yeah.
0: But Harvard is, you know, with that offense, I that's a scary offense to go up against. Um, you know, I'm. Sh- they gotta have some big games coming up on the schedule. I just haven't looked oh, at it yet.
1: They, they do. Um, so they have Union on Friday. Nothing, nothing big there. But then starting on Monday is the bean pot where they'll they'll play Northeastern on Monday, and then the following Monday will be, will be the championship and everything. So, so.
0: they got some big games coming up that could really help them in the pair-wise, um, huge, yeah, and also their conference. St- and national rankings here so there's a lot of good things that harvard can really turn out if they can get some w's here like i said it's a scary offense if i got to play harvard um they they really know how to put uh put goals out on the scoreboard there so uh they're sitting good though come ecac playoffs if it would have started today they would obviously get the home ice advantage um so that's always key in in college hockey so uh you know we'll see how harvard really shapes up towards the end of this year um right now I think we're in agreement, you and I, that it's really going to come down to Clarkson and Cornell. I think we like them as the two favorites, but uh, I won't be shocked if Quinnipiac, Dartmouth, or Harvard really makes some noise here late in the in the season.
1: No, especially when you get down to those situations where it can be a a one game, a one game winner take all type of experience. Uh, um, you can really can really make, and that's what's scary. And I mean, I, we talked about it with like AIC and. And Sacred Heart. I mean, AIC did it last year. Was it St. Cloud who came in as the number one seed? Yep. And they knocked him out. I, I mean, the Atlantics had some incredible success in the NCAA tournament recently. And that's where, if you're Cornell or, or Clarkson, I mean, I'm not too, I wouldn't be too, too worried about it because both of these teams are going to be in the NCAA tournament. I, I would almost say they're locks um, because I can't imagine they're going to hit such a huge speed bump and go on such a big skid. But yeah, just like you said, Quinnipiac, Dartmouth, Harvard, those are really good teams. Yeah.
0: Um, but, Tony, uh, let's shift gears here a little bit. I think uh, let's head out to the WCHA where there's uh, a little bit of noise happening, but I think uh, we're starting to see some uh, some teams kind of pull away in the standings here, or the, at least within the conference.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, I really feel the top three teams in this conference have kind of kind of separated themselves from the rest, um, that being Minnesota State, Bemidji, and then Northern Michigan. Um, you, you know, Alaska is an intriguing team. I know you really like them. Um, Northern, though, really had an outstanding weekend, and I feel they made a case where right now they'd be in the NCAA tournament. They'd be the last team in. Now they're, they're not in a really good position because you don't want any upsets happening in the, in the conference tournaments but they had a great weekend. They went up to, a, they went up to Fairbanks and they came away with a win and a tie. I mean, that's, that's nothing to, to scoff at. That's, that's a huge weekend, especially when you're having to go up to, up to Alaska. And I mean, that's, that's a long trip and, and they handled it really well. Um, they host Ferris state next weekend. I mean, that, that new student section, the Puckheads, um, have to be really excited with how, how the Wildcats are playing with, with Ferris coming in, um, a nice little GLIAC rivalry when it comes to sports non-hockey. Um, but but uh, the big matchup this weekend, Minnesota State and, and Bemidji, we got what we wanted. Um, a nice little split on the weekend. Minnesota State won on Friday, and then Bemidji returned the favor on Saturday. If you're Bemidji, you have to be ecstatic right now. you got to win in Mankato. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, the unfortunate thing for Bemidji right now is that they w- they are on the outside looking in when it comes to the N C A tournament. Um they're sitting at number twenty in the pairwise. They have a little bit of work to do, but that victory against against Minnesota State came in big. And it's nice knowing that that you have Minnesota State come into your building a couple times um at the end of the season. So a lot of a lot of opportunity for Bemidji to continue their role and, and pick up some some ground in the pairwise
0: yeah um i agree i mean it's, we're really talking about three teams here i mean Alaska's hanging on right now if you're if we're talking alaska hockey we're just talking the fact that i think that we're looking at them as being the fourth seed and the last home ice uh team for the you know come conference playoffs so i mean really we're focusing on the top three as you said minnesota state bemidji state and uh nmu and um you know the the Bemidji uh, Minnesota State series, like you said, didn't disappoint. And Bemidji has to be very happy with how this how the weekend played out. Um, not only do you keep the points close within the conference with Minnesota State, so you still have a shot at being the number one team here uh, before the playoffs start. Um, but the fact that you're able to you, you you see how you're matching up with the Minnesota State team, who's been playing lights out all year. Um, it's good to see, you know, it's a good sign for Bemidji state knowing that they can, they can skate with Minnesota state and, and can turn out a win. And really all you need is the one win once you get into the playoffs.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, it's really great for, for Bemidji. They have the weekend off and then it's a huge weekend. Um, next, next weekend will be at, at the Barry event center in, in Marquette, Michigan against Northern and, that i that's gonna be a hu- that could be a huge series, especially if Northern takes care of business. Like if they win the game that they should, they'd be sitting a mere point behind Bemidji in the standings, and that that's a huge matchup. the good The good news for Bemidji, you have in front of you what you want. You have yep. two games against top fifteen teams, or excuse me, four games against top fifteen teams, and then a series that you should sweep in Anchorage. So you really have to like where you're sitting. Now, Now when I look at the WCHA, what, what I think is going to be a very interesting battle is the battle for that final home home ice advantage in the first round. Alaska comes in at – they're holding it right now. They're six points up on Michigan Tech, seven on Bowling Green. Here's the catch, though. Michigan Tech currently sits – two has played two games less than Alaska, and they host Alabama-Huntsville up in Houghton this weekend. So we could be looking next weekend, um, Michigan Tech and Alaska sitting sitting right with each other. Well, Bowling Green's played four less games than the Nanooks. So um, yeah. that battle for the fourth position is, is going to be really intriguing. And that's a big one. I mean, Michigan Tech – so we talked about student sections. Michigan Tech's – I think they're called Mitch's Misfits um, – not named after Mitch Brown now, um, but <laughs> Michigan Tech's marching band to me has has to be one of the most entertaining bands in the country when it comes to being a student section. I remember. So in a couple weeks, they have a big series coming up called Winter Carnival um, Winter Carnival. What an event um, they start. I think they cancel classes midway through the day on Wednesday and basically just drink for the rest of the week incredible ice sculptures. They have broomball, but then they always have their big home hockey series. And I believe this year it's a little UP rivalry against Lake Superior, but um I digress. Um, um the <laughs> the band what I was getting at is uh the band. I'm like Michael Scott. Sometimes I keep talking and I'm not sure where I'm going with it. I hope I find my way. <laughs> um but no the band they're playing they're playing Duluth and I remember Duluth's fans started chanting nerds at them, and they they and Michigan Tech, for anyone who doesn't know, outstanding engineering school, like yeah. top-notch engineering John school. John Scott knows all about that. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> um, but they started chanting, that's all right, that's okay, we're going to be your boss someday.
0: <laughs> and that's what makes college hockey awesome, because the student section and those chants is just prime Uh with you know all season long so kudos to tech with that one that's impressive
1: (laughs) yeah so this weekend though the big uh the big matchup that i'm i'm really excited about is for some reason i missed this on um oh they have excuse me i i got i got their schedule wrong for bemidji they have bowling green this weekend so you're looking at a team that's receiving votes They've got six, six out of their final eight games are against really good teams that if they take care of business, they should be sitting in a good spot to come, come uh, a bid for the NCAA tournament. So that's, that's the matchup I'm really looking for. G Bowling Green.
0: Yeah. I mean, just to touch base real quickly um, before we move on here, you know, the four spot, the reason I'm having a hard time with Michigan tech though, they are in a good spot here. Um, two games less played than Alaska and BG four games, as you mentioned, than Alaska is, you know, tech, not having a good weekend, uh, splitting with a very bad fair state team. Just, it doesn't bode well for me. Um, so that, that one kind of helped or doesn't help my cause to see Michigan, uh, Michigan tech really make that jump for the fourth, uh, fourth spot, where Alaska has played pretty consistently splitting a lot of weekends. But when, when they really do need to get, did a sweep against those teams that they should be. Uh, we've seen a couple of them this year, but Bowling Green though you, is the team. I think that would really challenge Alaska for the four spot. Cause that is a solid program. Um, they've had a lot of up and down weekends uh, this season so far. Um, but it's in, like you mentioned all, I think Tony, you've mentioned it most of the season. Uh, they're a very good program that, um, you know, just certain weekends they've been caught on, on bad days. And then, they rebound and and they get a, you know, a solid sweep out there. So it's just been an up and down season for BG. um, But, you know, they're only what, um, what seven points back right now from Alaska with four games less to uh, less played. Uh, So I think really Bowling Green's in a good driving spot here to really challenge Alaska for the fourth spot, not so much for me, Michigan tech, but I mean, they would, you know, we'll see, maybe Michigan tech can hang around and, and challenge for them too. I mean, they're not far off with being six points out. So, uh, so, but I do like Alaska though, finishing the year off at the fourth spot.
1: What you have to look at too, is, is the remaining schedule. And I have it in front of me right now. And it's, it's all very favorable. I would say when you look at Bowling greens, it might be the toughest remaining schedule of those, of those teams, um, they travel to Bemidji this weekend. They're at home against Anchorage next weekend. Then they have to travel to Fairbanks, then home for Ferris. So they have two very tough, very tough uh, series left. When you look at when you look at Alaska, they've got Huntsville Bowling Green. So Huntsville's on the road, then Bowling Green's at home, and then it is a home series against Anchorage. Michigan Tech they have Huntsville, Lake Superior State, Ferris State, and then ending with the best rivalry in the, in I'm going to say in the state of Michigan, cause I'm a youper um, Northern and tech I know Michigan, Michigan state's better, but um, so you look at both, all three teams have that, have that possibility with not the, not the strongest of schedules with.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree here. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how, how these last three play out when we get to the conference playoffs here. Um, but, yeah, I mean, those schedules are pretty pretty intriguing there um, to see how those really shape up, uh, you know, the teams that we think that they should be, like Huntsville and, like, Superior. And then you mentioned – All right, we do apologize for that brief technical difficulty. Uh, Tony, we were just wrapping up the WCHA. I mean, before we move on, do we have any final thoughts here?
1: No, it, it's just going to be a fun, a fun stretch run these last this last really month of the season and in the WCHA really for that top spot and then for the fourth spot.
0: Yeah, so uh, kind of funny. We're we're, we're going to really see two races here in the WCHA, <laughs> one being for the one and one being for the four. So we'll see how that plays out the rest of the year. Uh, but Tony, switching gears now here. Um, as always, we get to go and and uh, I think one of our favorite conferences to really watch for college hockey and that's being the Big Ten.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's actually a bad team in this conference, really. Um, despite if you listened to us a few weeks ago, when I went on a rant with how the big 10 wasn't great, but there's, there's not a bad team. I mean, there's so much talent in this conference. I mean, yeah, we have some surprising teams sitting atop, um, looking at looking at Michigan state, um, who's had just a, a fairly nice run in the, in the big 10, but the big 10 is just a conference that's beating the crap out of each other. Um, there are a lot of splits this weekend as I feel there are nearly every weekend, but the only one was the team that was previously number one in the conference, Ohio state. They went into Mariucci arena and left with zero points. Uh, they got swept by Minnesota who watch out. Minnesota's only played 14 games when every team above them has 16 and they're sitting a mere six points behind Michigan state for first place, Michigan state and Penn state for first place in the conference. So watch out for Goldie. The Gophers are, the golfers are coming, and it's you know it's it's good to see these old those blue blood programs, the Minnesotas, who who's making a late season surge, and then of course North Dakota is sitting at the top. Boston College is pretty high. It's great seeing that these these old programs really really coming back to prominence.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean you mentioned Ohio State's walking out of Minnesota with zero points, and really gets Minnesota back into the conference uh, picture here. As uh, we you know approach the big time playoff um I think last weekend, I was kind of getting ready to write Minnesota off with Michigan and Wisconsin and was really focusing on the top four and you know that's not the case anymore Ohio State let the you know had the door wide open and Minnesota took advantage and stepped right through and and now as you said, there's six points back from Michigan State and Penn State who were tied at first at twenty eight points Ohio State getting no points i mean that was their opportunity to really jump m s u and uh Penn state and take first place or at very best be in a three-way tie with them. They're sitting two points back luckily for them, but it wasn't a very good weekend for them. And Notre Dame is just hanging around at the four seed. Um, Just that hasn't been a season that I think anybody was really anticipating for Notre Dame so far. It's been very up and down. I mean, they're giving up a lot of goals. uh, We didn't expect that (laughs) from a, from a team that, has always had pretty solid goaltending the last what four or five seasons now um, so we'll see how I mean they're hanging in there um, you know can Notre Dame make a, a late push here for the playoffs we'll see um, but this is a conference where even Michigan and Wisconsin you catch them on a good day they're gonna they're gonna upset you <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, last week we just talked about how well Michigan's been playing. and But you're absolutely right. I mean, Wisconsin got Notre Dame this week. They got Ohio State. La- I think they split with Ohio State last week. They split with Michigan State the week before. I mean, like we said, I mean, this is a conference that w- – Wisconsin's not a team that you want to see in the first round of the tournament. I mean, yeah, they they've played the worst out of anybody in this conference. But when you have that much talent, I mean – if you get in a shootout, if you start getting into a high-scoring affair with that team, who? Yeah, uh,
0: Michigan – I mean, uh, not Michigan, I'm sorry, Wisconsin. And we, We've talked about that one of the more prolific offenses, not only in the Big Ten, but in college hockey. Uh, right now they're probably the second-best offensive team in the Big Ten uh, behind Penn State, who's uh, – we know Penn State really is a very good offensive team. And the Wisconsin really relying on – Freshman Cole Caulfield, but what what kills him is the inconsistency um, from Caulfield because we've seen those games and even those weekends where Caulfield is held off the score sheet, and that's where the inconsistency with Wisconsin comes into play. You know, no one else is really stepping up to the plate uh, to help Wisconsin get those W's, and then we see the inconsistency with the defensive play and, and the goaltending this year that's really derailed the Wisconsin uh, season. Uh, really, right out the gate, too. Um, but I mean, Cole Caulfield's having a hell of a season for Wisconsin. You know, we'll see at the end of the year if he if he jumps ship to the NHL. He's a Montreal Canadian prospect right now. Or does he come back uh, with Tony Granado for a season two to really develop his skills here? I mean, we already know he he's got one hell of a wrist uh, wrist shot there. Um, but you know, the the complete game is not there right now. And so that will be an intriguing story late this season once the season wraps up. But you know, you you mentioned you don't want Wisconsin in the first round of the playoffs because uh, they will surprise you. I mean, they just need one weekend to, to to advance one weekend at a time, and Wisconsin is very capable of taking that.
1: Yeah, as as is really any team in this conference, which makes which makes to me the Big Ten Conference Tournament probably is going to be one of the best. Best out there when you look when you look one through seven, um, but it, it, we should note how important that number one seed is, as that's an automatic buy into the semifinals.
0: Yeah, and if you're Michigan State, you're really pulling for that at first uh, team. That really, I don't think we like we talked about the last few weeks. Not a season that we really in, were anticipating for Michigan State. Um, not just within the conference, but overall. I mean, they're just over 500 overall, but they're playing extremely well in the conference, which is what you truly need. Uh, and you get a split with then number one Penn State. Um, it really shows that Michigan State is is a true competitor in this conference, and that they could really make a push here for a Big Ten championship. And wouldn't that be kind of a one hell of a story in college hockey? Michigan State, I don't think had really any favorable votes for a Big Ten championship, and they could you know you know if this plays out the way that you know hopefully it does for them. Uh, get that first round buy into the semis and then compete for and win a big time national, uh, not national, but big time conference championship. Uh, that would be one hell of a storyline for Michigan state hockey.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're having such an incredible season right now, right now they're they're sitting on the bubble. They're one of the, they're one of the first three teams that would be out. Um, so they, they definitely need to need to put string together some wins. Um, Surprisingly, the Big Ten is would be a two bid league right now with those two teams being Penn State and Ohio State. But this conference tournament is going to be huge, and and it's going to be interesting to see how things play out. Uh, a few matchups this weekend: Notre Dame at Penn State. See if Notre Dame can write their ship, um, but Penn State—that's a tough place to play with that whiteout with those students. Um, that 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 should be an interesting matchup. I mean, my prediction there is Penn State getting a sweep uh the border battle happening at the Kohl Center in Madison Minnesota at Wisconsin we'll see if if Minnesota can can continue on their winning ways as they play their arch rivals that's one just with the way Wisconsin's been I mentioned Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde earlier and uh, that's one I, I envision being a split and, and same with Ohio State and Michigan i Really, anytime I see two big rivalries like that, my thoughts are always going to be split because there's so much emotion, especially when the two teams are so as good and equally matched as these four are. Yeah,
0: and we all know Yost Arena is also one of the toughest arenas and one of the oldest arenas to play in. Um, and so it's not the same as the football rivalry Ohio State Michigan, but there's a lot of bad blood right there between uh, both universities. Oh, so that's going to be an intriguing matchup uh, right out the gate, just because of the history of OSU and uh and Michigan, and then you mentioned Minnesota, Wisconsin. Wisconsin women got the better half of that last weekend with the sweep over Minnesota. Um, do the guys write the sh- uh, rewrite the ship there from Minnesota and and kind of get a little bit of revenge for the women's team getting swept? So we'll see. But you know, like you mentioned, uh, you know, Wisconsin is <laughs> you don't know what Wisconsin team you're going to get. Uh, Friday and Saturday what you know they're they're different every day Um, so we'll see how Wisconsin I mean very well could see splits this weekend Um, I'm really pulling for Minnesota though to get I think that with the momentum that they got I could see them really getting a sweep here and same with Ohio State Um, they came coming off (laughs) coming off being swept um, they really need to get their foot back in gear here and, you know, to, you know, play a Michigan team who just lost to the U.S. under 18 team this past weekend four um, one. So Michigan, um, luckily, that game really doesn't count for anything, but it's just, you know, kind of an eyesore to see that they, you know, lost to uh, the under 18 team there in a one game uh, series. So, you know, Ohio State, you know, you know, this is the weekend to really take advantage of Michigan, you know, just got beat up by. In a exhibition game, and they're coming off being swept, so they got a lot to play for here too, and really to keep themselves in uh, a good spot in the pairwise.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, what's I, I wonder? I didn't look at the box score or anything, but I wonder if Michigan was resting some the very well could some, guys. some guys. Might have, might have been seeing guys that were different minutes, working out different guys on the power play, splitting, changing lines up, seeing how things work. So I, I never really it's it's the same with when the when these teams play these Canadian schools at the beginning of the year. I don't put a ton of stock in it because you just you just never know.
0: No, I agree, and and very well. I think that the, when we get to those exhibition games, like in the under eighteen team, or when some of the Canadian colleges come into town, we do see a lot of um, you know a lot of the top players get rested that weekend and you know that's the opportunity for some of the young guns who aren't getting a lot of playing time a lot of ice time to uh you know make a splash here throughout the season maybe try to work their way into the to the regular lineup and and, then like you mentioned this is their opportunity for the coaches to kind of test some stuff out power play penalty kill and stuff like that so very well I didn't also look at the box score but that's very well what probably happened there Um, But Tony, uh, so I think that kind of wraps up big time hockey here for us. Uh, Let's move over back east uh, to Hockey East, one of our favorite conferences to talk about.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I really think that this year this is the best conference in college hockey. Um, Really, when you look at the top nine teams in the conference, you have some some really solid teams. and, And I believe there's, let's see, BC comes in at five in the polls. UMass comes in at seven. Providence comes in at nine. Northeastern's at thirteen, Lowell's at fourteen, uh, New Hampshire, Maine, and BU are all receiving votes. That's what eight teams that are receiving that are either ranked or receiving votes in the in the USCHO poll, and it and it really shows just how these teams have been playing. But I want to start out with Maine. Um, what a weekend for them! They got a sweep over BC with a four three win on Friday and a three two win on Saturday. Huge four point weekend for them. Um, should be noted hockey rolls a little different with their points where you get two points for a win rather than three, like most of the other conferences, but really a huge weekend for Maine. Um, they sit tied with Yukon um, in eighth place right now. So that should be an interesting, interesting battle between those two teams um, in the rest of the season. And Yukon's got a, got a big matchup coming up after really falling flat on their face in the CT ice tournament um, this past weekend. Um, they have a home and home with New Hampshire a team that, I, you know, I've, I felt a little bit higher on than you did, um, but they had a really nice weekend last week where they got a win in a tie against, you know, the top, I guess, first place in the conference in, in UMass. Um, so that should be an interesting matchup between um, New Hampshire and Yukon coming up, see if UConn can rebound um, and see if New Hampshire can, can kind of roll off of a really great, great weekend last week. Um, we mentioned, and, and honestly, when you look at the top teams, I want to say Lowell also had a rough weekend. Um, I'm looking in my notes for it.
0: Yeah, they lost a uh, 5-0 to BU on Friday, and then it was a 2-2 yeah. tie uh, with BU in a home-and-home series.
1: Yeah, so BU, another team that had a really nice weekend rolling into to the bean pot coming up, but... You know, really, the, the team that had the best week in these top four teams in the conference was was Providence simply from not playing. And <laughs> and they got a big one coming up on, on Friday against Northeastern before Northeastern uh, prepares for the bean pot
0: which is interesting because Northeastern also didn't play this past weekend. So now you get two teams that had both the bye week at the same time coming off in the same weekend. And now they're playing each other. So, and I believe, is it a home at home Providence Northeastern? Or is it just. No, it,
1: it's it's just Friday night. It's uh, just a one
0: and done because of the bean pot. Because so, of the bean pot. Um, but what's intriguing about the hockey East again is, I mean, you mentioned, Tony, it was solid weekend for Maine. Really closes the gap here between one and the nine team. Uh, you know, UMass is at 20 points in the conference, and Maine and UConn are tied at 14, six points. Um, now, granted, that's not a one weekend series because you just mentioned um, you're getting two, win- uh, two points for a win. But a, a weekend sweep closes the gap, um, if assuming that UMass or any of the other top four or five teams uh, do not get a sweep as well. So uh, it's intriguing that this is a conference that has 11 teams and we're talking about the top nine. All within a six points uh, range here, um, as we go down the stretch in the in the home stretch before playoffs, um, which is just it's intriguing for for me, especially because the, considering like you mentioned, New Hampshire had a nice weekend, Maine had a nice weekend, UConn not this past weekend, but the two weekends prior was was playing very well. Uh, the teams that you know we really weren't expecting to compete, um, not only for you know, a good playoff spot, but, you know, also for a top spot in, in the conference and also, you know, get themselves in the pairwise they are playing well. Um, and so this is, I think, you know, you mentioned this is probably the best um, college hockey conference this season. And, you know, on paper, it's hard to argue that. And if you get to watch them and you can even, it's even harder to argue that too. I think Providence is one of the best offensive teams in college hockey. They're third in the conference right now. Um, with one more game played than BC, but one less play than UMass. So that will be intriguing how that finishes up. And then, you know, the BC, BU, UMass low have been splitting recently, UMass. Um, so, I mean, everything keeps ending up close. Um, no one's really trying to pull away here. And I think that really speaks to the the talent pool in this conference. It's hard to pull away in this conference and get sweeps because – there's so many good teams in this conference.
1: Yeah. And, and I, and I should point out maybe the biggest, the biggest game of this weekend is UMass um, hosting BC on Friday before, before BC heads out to the, for the bean pot. Um, That, I mean, one against number two, that's a huge, huge matchup for both teams. I mean, you look at, it's a, it's a two point difference between UMass and, and BC right now. And BC's played two less games than UMass. So, an opportunity for UMass to kind of pick up some ground and, and BC to catch up. So,
0: Well, and you look at that, I mean, let's just assume BC gets the win. Okay, so now they're at, what, uh, 20 points. So we're not going higher than 20 points after this weekend if BC wins. You have Maine hosting Merrimack right now. I think that, that hopefully if Maine gets that win, you're at 16 points. And then you're looking at UConn, New Hampshire. If UConn wins, they're at 16 points. If New Hampshire wins, they go from, what, 15 to 19 points. Uh, New Hampshire could essentially jump if they get a win over UConn on Friday and possibly Saturday. We could see them in the top three, if not number one. I mean, that's just crazy to think about (laughs) Um, with the points. Um, And then if UConn gets a split here and Maine gets a win on Friday and Saturday, I mean, we're talking with BC beating UMass. We're talking now, what five, six teams jumbled up here at the
1: top, within one point of each other. Well, and forget about that too. I mean, Merrimack. I know we we barely talked about them because they're not really a strong a strong team in the conference. But when you look at the tenth best team in a conference, Merrimack's a pretty damn good tenth best team in the conference, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the crazy not something thing we'll
0: say ever too really.
1: Say say a New Hampshire – say New Hampshire and Merrimack both split. Merrimack's right now, after this weekend, would be sitting in the eighth spot in the conference. Yeah, I mean,
0: mean, this is – I mean, really the only team that we can really rule out is Vermont because they haven't won in conference play yet, only with two points uh, from two ties. Um, So, yeah, I mean, but yeah, Merrimack is not a – is not a tenth-place team that you want to sleep on. I don't think I'll ever say that ever again, but um... (laughs) – But, yeah, I mean, you bring up a valid point. I mean, Merrimack is not is not a team where you're guaranteed two wins. And whether you're Maine, Boston University, or UMass, or anybody else. I mean, Merrimack will come in, or you're going to go to Merrimack, and, and you're going to fight it. And right now, Merrimack, um, just by the numbers, is offensively stronger than two teams, three teams, actually, ahead of them. Uh, Maine, UConn, and New Hampshire. New Hampshire is actually – <laughs> one of the worst offensive teams in the conference vermont has them squeaked up by one goal and new hampshire's in sixth place right now so <laughs> they're getting it done somehow with with very few goals which i think is very impressive <laughs> from my my perspective <laughs> <laughs> they're efficient <laughs> yeah yeah. but um the, this is just the the outcomes that we can see here in hockey i mean this is like we we talked about this is going to be a conference where between one and essentially 10, we don't know how this is going to play out because any one of these 10 teams could end up anywhere in the standings here. Um, There's no, there's no uh, one horse pony here. That's going to pull away Um, right now. Everything's jumbled up and I expect it to be jumbled up till the end.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this, and this is a conference that's going to see a good amount of teams um, make the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, it's, the, the the finish is going to be outstanding and I mean the the hockey East tournament is going to be some absolutely incredible hockey but talking about tournaments I mean we we've mentioned it a few times and I mean we mentioned it in an earlier podcast the pot's happening this weekend at the Boston Garden um, you'll see BC and BU on on fri or on Monday and then Northeastern and Harvard will all, also play on Monday these are the semifinal games championship will be on the tenth. This is always an absolutely incredible matchup, and I believe it has some national television happening for it as well. Yeah.
0: um, So if you are within the New England, Boston area, um, you'll be able to see it on uh, NESN. Um, But it was just released, uh, I believe, a couple days ago on Twitter that uh, the NHL Network is going to broadcast the Beanpot in its entirety from start to finish. So that's very cool. Um, So, Anybody outside of the, you know, the um, the local area will be able to catch the pot on the NHL network this coming up week. So that's very cool for, for college hockey fans. It's not just going to be a local thing.
1: Yeah, and then everyone, can, the country can see how great college hockey is. Oh, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and really, too.
0: Um, really see what makes the beam pot such a special tournament year in and year out, because it's a tournament that's been around for a very long time. Um, I know these, the kids that play in it, um, they look forward to it every year. And if you get to be a part of it, it's something that these kids remember. I mean, the ones that go on to the NHL or they go overseas to play pro uh, I guarantee the beam pot is always one of those memories that sticks with them for the rest of their life. It's a, it's a fun and historic tournament. Uh, for college hockey and, it, and it's a tournament that never disappoints
1: yeah and i mean it, it's so cool like the, the northeast is is so different than than the midwest which you and i are used to where the, everywhere is so close it's so it's so easy to get around the northeast and a lot of these kids grow up playing against each other it's kind of like when i look at the old wcha when it was all the minnesota and north dakota um it made things really interesting because, because of that, um, how well the kids know each other and they've, (laughs) they've been playing against each other for probably what, 14, 15 years at this point.
0: Well, yeah. And and hockey East has the thing that I think that makes college hockey so intriguing. And it's something that I miss in the WCHA and the former CCHA, and that's the home at home series. Um, I think that is one of the best weekends in college hockey. If you can get a home at home series on your schedule Uh, when we were at Western during the heyday of the CCHA going to Ferris on Friday and coming back to Lawson on Saturday, that was one of the best weekends ever. Um, and then same with going to MSU on Friday and then coming back to Lawson on Saturday. I mean, those were, those were the weekends you lived for. Um, and it always made college hockey intriguing. Hockey East still gets to do that because like you mentioned, all these schools are so close together And, um, you know, then you mentioned to the WCHA at the time was doing it as well, but it's a lot tougher after the the Big Ten came in and the CCHA disbanded, uh, which created the NCHC. So we had a lot of teams moving around, a lot of moving pieces, but the hockey didn't get affected by that. So they get to keep living on to that tradition.
1: Absolutely. Well, you mentioned you mentioned Western and and the NCHC starting. I think that's a pretty good transition into our, our final conference of the weekend.
0: Yeah, I mean, Tony, and the NCHC is one of the best, at least in the last five seasons, uh, best college hockey conference just based on the fact that we've had what the last four or five national championship, uh come out of this conference. And with a lot of interesting storylines this weekend. Uh, Western Michigan keeps it rolling with a big-time sweep over St. Cloud State. Uh, both uh, same results, 6-2 uh, finals, both Friday and Saturday, uh, North Dakota, Minnesota Duluth. This was the game that I think we both had scheduled on our calendars here. Uh, one in three in the conference, but top top three matchup in the nation as well. Uh, North Dakota came out firing early Friday um, and then it ended up losing seven to four on Friday to Minnesota Duluth. But then North Dakota got the better half of UMD on Saturday with a three two win. So a split there. And I think a split that I think we both kind of saw coming, um, based on the fact that these are two of the top teams in the country. Um, I thought what was interesting though was the fact that the wheels fell off for North Dakota about midway through the second period. Um, they really had that that game going and controlling, and then I believe That's Duluth. goal. Yeah. I believe Duluth rattled off five straight goals going into midway to the third period. Um, and really just kind of derailed North Dakota altogether.
1: Yeah, I think when, when anytime you get a, you get a, when you're trailing and get a big shorthanded goal, it obviously turns momentum. And we saw that in the Friday matchup um, with Duluth and North Dakota. And any, any, it seemed like after that, anytime North Dakota would get some momentum, Duluth would immediately snatch it back.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, I think this was good for the conference, though. And, and when I say that, I'm talking if you're a Denver-Western-Michigan uh, team, you know, getting seeing North Dakota and UMD split really kind of keeps the conference close together. Now, obviously, if you're Western and Denver, you're, you were kind of hoping maybe UMD would get the sweep um, because then that would keep uh, three points away from North Dakota and really make everything intriguing, especially the way the rest of the weekend turned out for Denver and uh, WMU. Uh, who both ended up with sweeps this past weekend. But, um, you know, a split still helps those two teams out. So we're really seeing the top four kind of pull away in this conference here. And really, I mean, North Dakota, I think we can maybe say is locking in that number one seed. But really, there's we don't know who's going to be two, three and four. Denver, Duluth and Western are separated by three points.
1: Yeah. and, And honestly, like I think this weekend's WMU Omaha series it is going to be big. Um, both teams receiving votes recently in the USCHO polls. Both really sitting in that in the twenty-two, twenty-five range in in the pairwise. But if if Western can come out of there with if they sweep Omaha, I think we can safely say who the top four teams will be. Um, WMU currently sits seven points up on Omaha and Omaha's in fifth right now. So, I mean, I think this, this is actually a big matchup in in the sense that it can kind of determine, you know, who's going to get home ice at the end of the day, but this is a great opportunity for Omaha. If you come out of here with a sweep, all of a sudden you're sitting a single point behind Western Michigan and a single point behind a home playoff series.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if you're Western, too, you're looking at this, so you're healthy and you've already come off now back-to-back sweeps. You're going into a good and tough environment being in an Omaha who uh, just came off a sweep themselves with Colorado College. Um, But if you're Western, you're looking at, you know, Denver and Duluth who are ahead of you. Uh, Duluth, who's at 26, they're one point ahead. And Denver, who's three points ahead. Those two teams are playing each other this weekend. Um, I think that's going to be a split weekend, so they're going to split the, what is it, six points in the in the weekend, and if Western comes out with a sweep, you know, here we go, um, Western essentially trying to jump Duluth and Denver in the standings for maybe the number two spot in the conference, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities that we can see just from this weekend coming up between these three programs being Denver, Duluth, and uh, Western Michigan.
1: Yeah, and, and it should be noted that the that the Friday night game, um, WMU and Omaha will be seven thirty Central um, start on CBS Sports. Dave Starman um, and Ben Holden, Ben Holden getting the getting the call. What a, what a great duo, hey? Eh? Uh,
0: I've I think I've been saying this for years. Probably the best uh, best duo in college hockey for not only uh, calling the games but uh, the knowledge of the game and the knowledge of these, the the players, um, and the coaching staff and the program histories, uh, I don't think there's a better duo than Ben Holden and, uh, Dave Starman in college hockey.
1: Yeah. And, and honestly, I, I would, I would go as far as saying when you look at, when you look at color commentators in, in the sport, maybe right behind Edzo is, uh, is dave starman i'm honestly a little biased towards starman because of his love for the lost lunatics (laughs) yes which we did see
0: today he was tweeting about uh about the the student sections that but he did give a little shout out and this just you know goes to show you know how well dave starman knows college hockey but not just from uh within the boards but outside the boards the student sections he gave a little shout out to some other programs here but Dave Starman loves the lunatics. We know that he loves coming to Lawson. Um, but no, I agree, uh, and, and it's probably a little bit biased myself. But uh, when it comes to to hockey, um, you know, you mentioned uh, Doc and Edzo for NBC Sports in the NHL. When you talk college hockey, uh, Ben Holden and uh, Dave Starman are probably the top duo when it comes to college hockey. I, and honestly, I've been pu- I've been saying this for years. It's a shame that when it comes down to the Frozen Four tournament, those two are not doing the
1: games. Oh, I I, I couldn't. Now I think Bucci does an awesome job because he abs- he does pay attention to it. Um, but I would absolutely love to see Starman and, and company doing doing these games because they just they do all better grasp on on college hockey. But another guy I want to give a shout out to, he, uh, he has a, he has a podcast through, I believe college hockey news um, is Brad Schlossman, Schlossman sorry. It, it's pretty late at night right now. <laughs> um, he's a college hockey writer for the grand Forks Herald. One of my favorite follows when it comes to college hockey and, and talking about the NCHC right now, he is an incredible follow on Twitter. Um, I definitely recommend checking him out for, for all college hockey news. Cause he's not only with, with North Dakota, he's got a good grasp on the country. Yeah,
0: that's a very good point. And, uh, yeah, I believe I follow him as well. And, um, you know, there's a lot of good, uh, not only, uh, broadcasters and color commentators, but, uh, you know, um, uh, bloggers and writers out there for, for the sport of college hockey that are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and so forth, So, So if you get a chance, go follow as many as possible because uh, they all do uh, bring a wealth of knowledge to college hockey for us.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, anything else
1: you have with the NCHC? No,
0: I mean, I mean like we were talking about, I mean, this is going to be a fun fun way to see how the season wraps up. This is a very good college hockey conference. Um, and it's a big weekend for a lot of the programs here. So we'll see, uh, next week after, you know, after this weekend, what the outcomes are, uh, when we start recording for episode 12, but that's all I got for the NCHC.
1: Awesome. I think it's a good time to jump into uh, a little bit of bracketology. I saw the NCAA came out with their own section of bracketology. I know you brought that to my attention, Matt. Um, I'm looking off of, off the, I guess the pairwise rankings from, from Tuesday, North Dakota, Cornell, Minnesota State, and Denver would all be the one seeds if the season were to end today. BC, Penn State, UMass, and Clarkson would be the two seeds. Providence, Ohio State, Arizona State, and Duluth would be the three seeds. Northeastern, New Hampshire, Northern Michigan, and AIC. and Well, I put AIC because they're at at the top of the Atlantic standings um, if you look at the games games played like the NHL does. Um, But the Atlantic hockey would be that 16th seed. Um, it should be noted that Lowell, Maine, Michigan State, Quinnipiac, and Bemidji would be kind of those the next five teams. Lowell and Northern Michigan are actually tied at 15 in the pairwise. Um, Harvard, Western Michigan, Dartmouth, Michigan, and Omaha round out the top 25 when it comes to the pairwise. So it, it's we have some really, really good teams that would be on the outside looking in, and I think there is a ton of – you know, I, I do think the top three teams in college hockey have kind of – Shown who they are, but I really think there is a ton of parity in college hockey this year, which is really great. Um, looking at what I think the regions would be, so the number one seed, North Dakota, would be in the Northeast Regional. That'd be in Worcester, Massachusetts. They would all they would face the Atlantic Hockey winner in the first round. Um, UMass and Ohio State would also meet in that in that first round as well. In the East region, in Albany, would be the number two seed Cornell. Um, this this region is hosted by the ECAC, so I also put Clarkson in there as as the number two seed. Um, Cornell would t- face Northeastern in the first round. Clarkson would face Providence in the in the first round. Um, in the Midwest, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, hosted by Penn State, Minnesota State would be the number one seed. Um, they would host New They would play New Hampshire in the first round. Penn State, the host, would face Duluth in the second round. Um, and then out west in Loveland, Colorado, hosted by Denver. Denver would be the would be the number one seed out west. They would take on northern Michigan in the first round. Boston College would take on Arizona State in the second round. Um, when I do this bracketology, I really try to keep it as, as close to you know, one playing 16, two playing 15, eight playing nine, so on and so forth. Um, But I I do try to, you know, I know the committee really tries to avoid any interconference first round matchups. So I I don't, I didn't see any of those when I was, when I was doing it, when I, when I switched everything around. And they also try to take into consideration geography. Um, They really want the attendance, which, which is understandable. Um, You want to make sure that, that you're bringing in you're putting butts in the seats and making money at these at these regionals um so the ones that I that I moved around a little bit I moved Clarkson over to Albany I mean Clarkson is in New York um moved UMass out to Worcester um UMass is obviously in Massachusetts so it's just a little geography there um had to had to move Ohio State and Providence just because then we would have seen a, a first round matchup with UMass and Providence and we can't do that. So that's why Providence is in Albany and not in Worcester. Um, and then a couple that I, I moved around a little bit is actually only one match. or Let's see here. There was. Um, oh, there's a little bit. I moved. Uh, I moved in the east region. I moved northeastern out east. So they'd be a little bit closer to home move Northern Michigan out to Loveland. Um, And then I also switched Duluth and Arizona state um, mainly. So that way, Arizona state would be a little bit closer and potentially bring in some some fans into Loveland, but wouldn't be shocked to see Duluth out west as well. So, but that's my predictions for bracketology. And that brought to you
0: is by Bracketology with Trango. We're gonna have to do a sound bite for you every time now.
1: Here we go. Um, all right, but can we, can we can we contact uh, I would say uh, Mena's joint, but uh, they've closed down in Calamity. Yeah. I think there's some other locations, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but 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 let's take a minute to sit back and like look at some of these matchups. UMass, Ohio State, Cornell, Northeastern as a first round matchup, Clarkson, Providence, uh, Duluth, and Penn State, uh, Boston College, like there's some incredible matchups in in the first round, and I think it just shows why the college hockey like tournament is the best in in maybe in sports.
0: Well, we've talked about it all year, Tony, that the uh, the talent pool across the country has been very good this year. Um, we haven't seen. What we used to see, and not really so much in this past decade, but you you know back in the what maybe possibly the '90s and even early 2000s, we really saw those what five maybe to ten teams that really kind of shined in college hockey um, that really were competing on a day a uh, year to year basis for a national championship. And that's not the case anymore in college hockey. I mean, we've, there's so much talent out there. These kids don't want to sit and wait three years before they get to play they're going somewhere where they can play now. And, and the evidence is basically right there in front of us um, when it comes to not only the pair-wise, but the the conference standings and the USCHO rankings. Uh, there's a lot of great teams. I mean, there's not one team in the 1 through 16, if it ended today, that could not compete for a national championship. That's how close uh, these teams are in competing. And, also due to the fact that it's not like the NHL where they're playing five and seven game series. They're playing one game. Once you get to the big dance, it's a one game series, one and done. And that's all you need. If you're like you said, last year, AIC knocked off what I think everybody thought was going to be the favorite in St. Cloud state, um, who had a terrific regular season. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, ended up winning the NCHC playoff. Um, and here comes AIC 16 seed and knocked them right out and and crushed their their dream season so all you need is a one and done and you see how far you can go until you get to what would be this year in Detroit
1: at Little Caesars Arena for a national championship yeah it's it's definitely it's it's definitely a lot of fun and and I love that ESPN covers all of it which is which is great
0: oh yeah because it makes great for me i can i get to watch four to six games at a time because they let me do the what is it the the grid for all the games oh yeah (laughs) so i get to i get to basically create my own little sports book in my in my my house with my laptop and my tv because you know can't 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 just watch one game when it comes to that time of the year got to watch all of them as, as closely and at the same time as possible absolutely 100 percent um but tony all right so i mean bracketology maybe uh we can get you to uh, maybe jot down that that grid for at least for this week and we you know we'll post it on the instagram post it on the twitter feed here uh so for the fans that follow us can see what what uh tony's got for us in bracketology for this week and then we can kind of see how we can compare uh the weeks go on with if if anything changes for you but um if that's it for Bracketology with Tringo, I think we need to move on to one of the segments that we like to end uh, our podcast with. And that's uh, what's going on in women's college hockey, Tony.
1: Yeah, let's save the best for last. Um, like it was at the like it was at the All-Star game. What, and we'll talk about this a little bit at the end. But, dang, what what an event. And seeing some of those those former college hockey players, um, as you tweeted out, um uh, what an, incredible, what an incredible weekend at the All-Star Game for, for, for women's hockey. But um, jumping into it, two of, the, two of the schools that were very well represented at that All-Star, All-Star Game, Minnesota-Wisconsin, the border battle. You touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, Wisconsin took care of business. They swept, they swept the Gophers. Um, got a 5-4 win on Friday, which, was, which is a very exciting game. Um, Wisconsin jumped out to a 4-1 lead after the second period. Abby rock, big Abby rock podcast here. Um, she recorded a hat trick for the Badgers. Um, but, but the Gophers didn't back down. They scored three of their own in the, in the third period um, to tie it up and send it to overtime before Sophie Shirley um, scored wanted an overtime for the Badgers and um, a huge weekend for them. They stayed at number one in the country. Minnesota came in second. Um, Cornell was another team that was receiving votes in the poll in the, in the, first place votes. So um, we've got some really, really good teams, but another big re- weekend was um, it, it happened on Saturday where Clarkson and Harvard battled. Clarkson really took care of business. Um, Elizabeth Jaguar, um, an incredible player. It feels like she's been at Clarkson for about five, 10 years now. Um, <laughs> I think she's, a, I believe she's a junior this year. Um, so is only her third year, but um, they took care of business winning for nothing. Um, Clarkson's got another huge matchup coming up this week as they'll travel to Cornell on Friday, which may be one of the best, if not the best battle in in all of college hockey coming up next week. Um, Those two teams, another big one is between number four and number seven um, or that, excuse me, that's a battle between number four and number seven in the country. Um, Duluth and Minnesota will also play um, a weekend series in the WCHA and that'll be number two versus number nine. So we got some, we got some big time women's college hockey coming up.
0: Yeah, I and mean, you touch base. I mean, what a what a scene for women's uh, hockey—not just college hockey, but professional hockey uh, this week or this past weekend in the NHL All Star Series, um, the three on three USA versus Canada. Um, I think everybody who was watching the skills competition was uh, waiting for that three on three series, or I shouldn't say series, but game. Um, because you know, the last time we saw these two square off was in the Olympics when USA ended up winning the gold medal. Um, and you know, like you mentioned, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of women that was re- representing college hockey in that game alone. And we, and we, that was just a few of the many, many women's uh, professional players that are out there right now. Um, and there's so much more talent to come in the in, in college hockey right now in the women's side. That's will be geared up for the professional level but I mean what a what a awesome scene. Uh it's awesome that the NHL does that. I hope they continue doing it. Um I, the 3 on 3 I think was fun for the NHL guys to sit back and watch cuz I'm glad they got rid of that ridiculous relay uh stupid shit thing they do with the Is that the one that is that the one that Drew Doughty got pissed at every e- year? Yep. <laughs> yep, that's the that's the exact same one. I I, as a fan, never liked it. That took way too long. I thought that was stupid, so I'm glad they got rid of that, and they replaced it with something way more exciting and better, and that was uh, USA versus Canada in the three-on-three women's. I think that's too something that the women's hockey, I think, um, if I remember correctly, Kendall Coyne was interviewed, something that the women's hockey players have never really done, that's three-on-three um, play. Um, so that's that was new, I think, for them as well. Um, So really, both Canada and USA not knowing really how to play a three-on-three game. It's a lot of speed, which in women's hockey, there's already a lot of speed. Um, And there was a lot of ice to move around. So it was a lot of back and forth. Um, You know, I kind of wish they didn't do a running clock because, you know, the goaltenders, you can tell, really wanted to freeze the puck. But they were really just kind of chucking it off to the side because they wanted to keep the pace going and not really – stop any play there but um but yeah no that was awesome to see and uh you know what a way to really help boaster and and um uh, really help the college women hockey team branch out because a majority of those women had played college hockey and like you said majority of them uh playing for what is probably what you can argue is the top two teams in college hockey being wisconsin and minnesota
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, and the USA Olympic, uh, I guess, website came out. They had an article this just the other day about those two programs specifically. But the US and Canada, you mentioned first time really meeting up since the Olympics, which isn't necessarily true. I, I think to the to the general public that that is what it seems like because you don't get a lot of nationally televised women's hockey games, but. They battle out all year. I mean, they basically do an ex—I'll call it an exhibition tour because it's not for any like actual standings, but they do a rivalry tour pretty much the entire year. I think they're in California right now. Um, they'll be up in BC coming up. So they do a lot of games. And I know recently they had kind of a showcase event where they had a few captains and all these teams would it'd be like team Kendall Coin against Team uh Sarah Nurse and 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 they just have a collection of you know the women so for for everyone that doesn't know there were two competing professional women's leagues a United a league in the US and a league in Canada. Well the league in, in Canada folded and pretty much every big time women's hockey player. So looking at like those U S and those U S and Canadian players kind of boycotted the NWHL, um, and, and created a, a player's association, um, kind of like you see in all the other professional sports organizations. Um, and that's who you saw at the all-star game. That's who the big names that, you know, and I think with that performing and and with this weekend being such a success, um, having people, you know, like, um, like Ty Domi being, you know, a huge advocate now for the game and, and really, especially with, with the momentum, it picked up on Spit and chicklets and, you know, uh, Erica Nardini, who's the, um, the CEO of Barstool Sports. She's, she's a huge advocate for women's sport for, for women's hockey. I think all these big voices that have such, such weight in the game and, And I really think hoping the NHL players will get get on board with this as well. And hopefully the owners that that we see this grow into into a really big professional league so that hockey so that college hockey really isn't the last step. And and these women aren't having to buy their own sticks that they can that they can make a living and not have jobs outside of being a professor or that they don't have to pick up jobs outside of being a professional hockey player. Um, I guess that's something we can, we can hope for and we can hope to see it sooner rather than later. Yeah.
0: And I think with the amount of talent we're seeing right now in college hockey, there's so much talent that's going to be coming to to the professional ways that um, I think you, you, you nailed it right there. And I think we're onto something that, Um, I think we will see it sooner rather than later because uh, at some point these committees and and commissioners and so forth, are going to say, well, we can't control and slow down the uh, progression of women's professional hockey. It's here. It's, it's ready. Um, And there's more and more talent that is rapidly coming our way. Um, And (laughs) for their sake, it would be very smart. I think, uh, to get this completed um, and really um, give not only the women that are, you know, um, busting their hump to um, to make women's hockey what it is and to continue to grow it and hopefully make it, you know, a living that they're that they've been looking forward to, but really um, expand the game and really help grow it outside the professional ranks, which is also going to be the college ranks and even, uh, you know, the women that are, you know, looking to play college hockey. So I, I think there's a lot of good things that are coming from the the, the women's game that we'll see in, in the very, very near future. And there's a lot of good ambassadors right now at the professional level who played college hockey that are helping lead the way with the likes of Kendall Coyne, Hillary Knight, Brandon Decker, um, Natalie Spooner and so forth. So I think there's a lot of good things coming up for w- women's uh, professional and college hockey in the very short future here. Uh, but Tony, I mean, well, sticking to the topic here for women's hockey, I mean, unless you got something else you want to add to it before I, I announce something. I've got nothing else. All right. Well, speaking of women's hockey, uh, Tony and I, we uh, just, uh, we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks, been working on setting up some interviews Uh, Tony, um, we are happy to announce that we are going to have former goaltender for Quinnipiac, uh, Sydney Rossman, joining us on the podcast here in a couple weeks. It's going to be a fun interview for us. Our first interview. We're excited. Um, We're going to talk to her about, you know, her career and, you know, what's going on nowadays in Sydney Rossman's life as she uh, used to be, as I said, the goaltender for Quinnipiac and a former professional Uh, women's uh, hockey player so we are excited Um, like I said first interview for us that we are scheduled here in the next couple weeks and uh, we will have that out to you uh, within the next couple weeks with our our usual episode but we are excited Um, and I know Sydney Rossman is excited too to join us here on the podcast here to talk college hockey yeah it should be a lot of a lot of fun um, but Tony, I mean, that's that's all I think I got for us this week. Unless you got anything else you want to really quickly touch base on here.
1: Uh, one quick thing, you know, uh, just a tap of the stick to Steven John's former um, Notre Dame defenseman, now a defenseman with the Dallas Stars. He uh, he missed about six hundred. He was so it was about six hundred days between games due to um, a concussion and some post concussion syndrome. Um, he got the, he got the start, I believe right before the all-star break. And then he got a start again on, on Monday night and last night, which is, which was Wednesday. He was a healthy scratch. So I'm, I'm I'm praying that it's, it's nothing for his sake, not for the star's sake, that it's, it was just a healthy scratch and nothing, no symptoms, but what, what a great story to see him come back from, from such a traumatic injury.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, that's always a tough injury to come, come back from, you know, Everybody knows that you know it's like Sidney Crosby who we all thought was going to re- retire five years ago, and Jonathan Tave suffered it um, it's not an injury that um, you know in any professional sport is take lightly nowadays with all the head trauma that we see um, from a lot of these uh these type of sports uh you know high contact sports being hockey football and such forth but uh, very good news to hear to, uh, to hear from him and all uh, Hopefully we get to see him on the ice on a consistent basis here coming up shortly. We know the Dallas stars probably would like to see him and really need him. Um, he, he had a very good start to his career. Um, he was one hell of a defenseman for Notre Dame made life hell in the CCHA. Um, and I'm still bitter that the Hawks gave him up. (laughs) Um, but, uh, what a yeah. bad deal for them! Yeah, yeah, something I don't like to think about, but yeah, it was a very bad deal. I agree. They gave up great talent for almost nothing. So, <laughs> um, but you know that you know, like like you mentioned, that that's awesome to hear. And uh, like I said, hopefully he's on the ice on a more consistent basis here coming up as um, the Stars make a push for the playoffs. Absolutely. All right, but I think that's all we got here for this week for college hockey. We got a lot of good things coming up here. And we are in the home stretch here before conference playoffs, so we will have everything with you. And like we mentioned, got a lot of exciting interviews that we are geared up and getting ready for uh, in the next uh, few weeks here. So uh, we will be in touch with you as we uh, get ready um, for the playoffs and in uh, the top sixteen. But um, as always, watch college hockey. Class dismissed.